Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Pop culture. Subculture. Music. Horror. Sex. Politics. Art. And overall bad this is Society 13, Redefining Podcasting. Music. Music. Horror. Horror. Subculture. And overall, overall bad Welcome, Welcome to Kettle, to Kettle Whistle, Whistle Radio, Radio. With your hosts, your hosts Dave, Dave and Sean. And Sean. another year in the making of Kettle Whistle Radio. we got great shows coming up, and of course, go to www.society-13.com. Check out the Queens of NC-17, as well as the pop-off with Martise and other shows to be coming. And before I get into tonight's episode, um, I wanted to make a point, because this hits close to home with uh, a young lady in my family, uh, and uh, regarding diabetes and type 2 diabetes in children and how awful it is and how common it is and there's a woman here in the Pittsburgh area her name is Stacy Harris and she's known as a diabetic pastry chef I met her personally a client of mine to tell you the truth I, I met her daughter and um, I recommend anybody that has uh, diabetes as a risk or in their life at all to check out her book uh, The Diabetic Pastry Chef I uh, was featured on the news here, and just a wonderful person doing great things and finding a new way to cook for folks that are suffering from this. And uh, we may even have her on here at some point. But anyway, I want to bring that to your attention, so check it out online. You can look up the Diabetic Pastry Chef lookup, and that would be Stacy Harris. There's no .com here yet, but we'll get to that later on. Um, and tonight, another writer, Doug Murray, who hit pretty close to home for me in several ways. And if you're not familiar with Marvel Comics, the NOM from the 80s, get familiar. You can get them in the trades, graphic novel, novels to some of us other folks. Um, Doug Murray uh, doesn't do many interviews, and I was just uh, so honored that he would come on the show. So we'll get into that. Uh, man, a little Dandy Brown music by, 
And I got to say, I'll Be Damned is a great song, but um, he's got a lot of other stuff going on, too. And I've been trying to get him on the show, too. Them, that, the band as well, Dandy Brown. I want to thank you for all the great music that you've been hearing here. All right. And uh, let's get on with it. All right, folks, friends, and fiends, welcome to a very special Kettle Whistle Radio with uh, one of my idols here going back to the 80s, 86 to 94-ish. Uh, um, I'm talking to Doug Murray right now, folks. If you don't know The Nom comic by Marvel Comics, you need to go back and revisit it and learn something like I did. Uh, Mr. Murray, thank you for joining us. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, you can please call me Doug. I don't like Mr. Murray or sir. <laughs> okay. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. No problem, Doug. I appreciate it. Um, we kind—I don't need. It's kind of weird to catch up with you after all these years. Um, I discovered you back in eighty-five, eighty-six when the Nom came out, and I—it's one of the first collections of comics I collected all the way through. Mm, only missed one issue. We'll get into that. Um, but in the meantime, uh, Doug, uh, we have a past here. Um, one of your characters, Aesop, um, Andy Clark. You knew him well, as I did also. Um, uh, he was my best friend for many years. We were friends for more than 50 years. More, Yeah, and that goes back to New York days where you grew up? Well, uh, my house was across the street from his house. Yes. Um, my Uncle Jimmy, of course, who is Andy's brother, told me all about it, about you guys growing up. And you were somewhat of a hero, too. I, um, I don't know if this is going to dig up something or not here, but uh, Uncle Jimmy wanted me to tell you, um, I guess when him and Andy were young, they had an even younger brother whom you saved from getting hit by a car. <laughs> I, uh, if, I don't know. I don't know if I did it. I, if they say I did it, I'm sure I did. I don't think of it as anything big, though. Uh, ben, was, ben was about the same age as my younger brother, and okay. uh, they, they became friends later on. Well, so, they, yeah, you're you know, deemed as a hero there, because apparently you stepped in front of the car. <laughs> that's good to know. Yes, yes. Uncle Jimmy yeah. talked very highly of you, and so did Andy. Um, Andy, I have to tell you, I didn't get to know up until about 12 years ago. Um, and again, he's featured in the comic book, The Nom, folks, Andy Clark, uh, known as Aesop, to his friends. Um, I met him at the Beverly Hills Hotel at a wedding, of all places. And um, he has since passed. I, I, I imagine you're aware of that. Oh, yeah, very well. Yeah. Uh, I, almost all the characters in The Nam for the first couple of years are at least named after people I knew. Uh, mm-hmm. Albergo, from the first uh, nine issues. Yes. Uh, was based on one of my brother's best friends, and uh, it, what's odd about it is, though, I didn't give any really clear description of him to Mike Golden, but Golden's drawing of him looks exactly like the real Albergo. That's amazing. Which we always thought was kind of amazing. It always is when somebody, when an artist can reach into your head like that. And yeah, well, Mike and I, although we never really, I don't think we ever saw each other when we were working on the book. Everything was being done through FedEx. Really? I, I only talked to him on the phone once or twice. Yeah, the comic industry has really changed. Oh, that's when for I sure. When I got involved, which was back in the late 70s, um, everything was done through FedEx. Uh, if you were lucky and lived in New York, you'd have a visit with the editor, and you'd, disc- you'd talk about a plot and come to a plot that everybody was happy with, and then the writer would go home and write a script, or well, if you did it Marvel style, you'd essentially write a short story. And then you'd FedEx it to the editor, who would say yay or nay, make changes if, if it was full script. And the editor would then send it to the send it, FedEx it to the penciler, who would do the pencils, which he would then FedEx to the inker, 
and then fed, the eagle would FedEx it to the colorist, and eventually get to the letterer. <laughs> so it took about, I guess, six six to eight months from the time you had that initial meeting with the editor till the book actually hit the printer. Um, now uh, everything's done by email. Yeah, right. So if mm-hmm. I if I do a, I get a, I go back and forth with the editor, get an approval, do a script, email it to the editor, emails it to the editor. So now it takes three three months, maybe four, to get it out on the stands, which is quite a difference. Yeah, I'd say. What a process! Uh, and uh, it's way streamlined now. Uh, in fact, a lot of a lot of the artists, almost all the coloring is done electronically now. It's computer coloring, and most of the di- uh, most of the dialogue, most of the lettering is also computerized. So we we've kind of speeded up the process substantially. Yeah, absolutely. Are you still enjoying yourself? <laughs> uh, uh, sometimes. Okay. <laughs> I was I, just I wondering. I novels more than comics these days, although I yes. just finished the longest graphic novel in history, I think. Uh, I was hired by the um, Naval Academy Press uh, in Annapolis. The guys, they're the guys who published The Hunt for Red October. Oh, wow. and, and they're starting a group of uh, graphic novels, and they wanted me to adapt uh, a Pulitzer Prize-winning book about the Battle of Leyte Gulf in the Philippines. Uh, and I did, but to do the book properly, and I told them this up front, I, I was going to take at least 200 pages. Mm-hmm. And they were fine with that. Wow. And the, the finished script is 204 pages long. <laughs> it's with the artist now. I don't, it's supposed to be out sometime early next year, which is as much as I know at the present. That's amazing. Oh, I'm, so we have something to look forward to. I, that, that's a, I'm I'm actually enthralled with that idea of what you're doing. I can't believe that you're you're still involved the way you are, and that's fantastic. Because a lot of people, you know, they get frustrated with any kind of industry when it comes to the arts. Um, I know music is really on the outs right now. Well, you know, it's I I don't know quite how to describe it. I was always a comic fan. Yeah. Uh, and I've always been a reader, so. Uh, Larry Hama, my editor yep. at Marvel, kind of forced me into doing this, <laughs> in a way. Um, I had done a couple of, uh, I don't know how to describe them. I had I had ghosted a couple of uh, books for a friend mm-hmm. working at DC who couldn't make deadlines because he was working on another project. So um, I ghosted a couple of scripts for him. And uh, I worked at Neil Adams Studio for a while while oh, I was wow. doing Heritage. Uh, I helped him with uh, his Ford account. So, you know, Hama, who I met at Neil Adams Studio, uh, had just restarted uh, Savage Tales at mm-hmm. Marvel. Yes. And he wanted to do he wanted to do some Vietnam stories. So he called me. Uh, I actually was in Manhattan doing a, a thing at IBM, and uh, we got together. And he asked me if I could do it. And I said sure. So I did uh, did three stories for Savage Tales. Well, I did three Vietnam stories for Savage Tales. I did about mm-hmm. ten stories for Savage Tales. Okay. But I did three Vietnam stories, and two of them got printed before the book was canceled. And they'd gotten the most response from mm-hmm. anybody. Mm-hmm. So Jim Shooter uh, took yeah. a chance, because uh, Marvel didn't do war books, and certainly not realistic books. He took a chance and let us go ahead and try to do a comic book based on the Vietnam story. And the third story that I'd done for Savage Tales uh, we ended up recycling and used it as part of the Tunnel Rat story. And, oh, uh, man. That is one of my so, favorites. I'm a horror... I was a horror uh, comic fan first, um, but the nom grabbed me for that reason. Uh, what, that was one of my favorite arcs, the Tunnel Rats. 
That was yeah, a so, that was I mean, very strong. Everything and the book was extremely successful. I mean, when it first came out, uh, first issue sold like three hundred fifty thousand copies. It was Marvel's top selling book that month, wow. and we were in the top five for I don't know the first twelve issues, and then the top ten for the first fifteen or so issues, and then the mighty Marvel marketing department decided that we'd be better off doing the book only as a direct sales book, which means it would be only available in comic book stores. And that cut our readership in half almost immediately. So oh, wow. the book was selling, you know, 280,000 copies and it dropped to 140 odd thousand, which would be enormous these days because now a book that's selling 40,000 copies is a huge hit. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's a different world. But uh, so that they made that decision and it, it worked okay. We, I mean, I did 50 odd issues and, uh, Forty odd issues. I think uh, Chuck Dixon did the last five because uh, my third editor was my third editor. My third editor on the book was a. Uh, uh, I don't know. How to, I'm not going to. I'm not going to describe him. He was a problem. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All right, we'll stick with that. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to say anything you don't want to say. Don't worry about that. There's always editing time. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, it's not that he was. Uh, well, I don't know. He 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 didn't like. Uh, he was. Um, a young man who had no skills. He wasn't a writer. He wasn't an artist. He had started in the mailroom and been promoted up to being an editor. And he didn't know what he was doing, essentially. But he had he had strong feelings about what was proper and what was not. Hmm. And uh, they didn't match my strong feelings, what was proper and what was not. So he immediately tried to get rid of the, the, the idea of doing it in real time. And oh, man. He wanted to put uh, superheroes in. And, you know, I... So I did. I did one issue with superheroes to show how stupid it was, <laughs> and uh, uh, he he eventually we just stopped communicating, and he used somebody else for the last couple of issues. Wow! So uh, I got away clean, which was okay with me. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, for folks that are you know you you could be getting turned on to a whole new audience too here. Uh, for folks that don't know Doug Murray, the Nom back in the '86. It is the for one of the, for me. It's a pivotal moment in comic history for me. But it's told in real time by the folks that were actually there. Um, you and Hammer were both in Vietnam. Hammer wasn't in Vietnam. He was in the army, but never got shipped overseas. Okay, I was. Uh, I was there twice. Right, uh, but not. I wasn't supposed to be a ground pounder. I was there for other reasons, but nonetheless, I spent my time there and. Uh, uh, so I, I had stories to tell, and I had an idea what things were like. Michael Golden, our first artist, was a huge, and I hesitate to use this word, but I will. He was a huge fan of the Vietnam War, mm. and uh, he could draw anything, and he, he knew the details. I mean, if we had a character who had a, a bandolier of uh, M60 cartridges over, over his shoulder, Michael would draw in the markings for which ones were the tracers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he was a great guy to work with. He was he was slow, and he was unreliable, but he was really good. <laughs> and it's told uh, in the eyes of Ed Marks, um, young gentleman that's going overseas. Um, and we see things, like, like you said, and like everybody has said, it's in real time by real people. This wasn't a superhero comic. A lot of times it was a horror comic. I mean, just uh, in the colors you used alone. And you didn't need, I think you even said something like that, you don't need to see the blood spilled to know that that, that, that was blood. You know, it was just... No, no there's no need to, to show right. that stuff. I mean, uh, I was being careful because I, I had to be inside the comics code because it was decided this would be a comics yes, code book yes. rather than a non-comics code book. So I, I couldn't really have my characters curse and we couldn't do some things 
that we might have done otherwise. But I, I wanted to go for the larger audience rather than the smaller audience. And uh, the letters we got were amazing. We got letters from all kinds of people, and we got letters from a lot of young men, a lot of kids, 12, 13 years old, whose fathers had been in Vietnam but wouldn't talk about it. And mm-hmm. when they when they read the comic and showed it to Dad, Dad would sometimes open up. And it, I thought that was a really good thing. And I felt, if there's anything I really feel proud of, it was getting that communication between... Uh, the kids and their dads going to some extent. I, I have to agree. Yes. And your timing was amazing. I mean, all we had back then, you know, junior high to high school, we had Platoon, we had Full Metal Jacket, Apocalypse Now, The Deer Hunter. I was in Glassport today, by the way, um, in the Pittsburgh area. Um, and I thought of it immediately, passing all those places. But that's how we, we learned, because it wasn't in our books. We didn't have it in our books. This comic book of yours came out, and I'm learning things, and I'm seeing things from a perspective that, um, well, nobody, you didn't get that perspective. And, um, the, the, and, and guys and girls out there, there's a glossary at the end of every comic ex- interpreting things that you normally wouldn't. And as a matter of fact, I know a lot of people now that still don't know what a lot of those things mean. And I was using them in everyday as everyday terminology. I learned it in the back of a comic book, a comic book that made sense. Um, and thank you for that. But and not just the entertainment, but the the history. I mean, every it puts you in that world. Well, uh, history was. I mean, that's where my degrees are. I have a, I have a master's in history, and. Uh... I wanted to get the history as accurate as possible. The, the, the events in the book if I'm, are usually based on a real event. If there was a, a firefight somewhere that I could find records of, I would incorporate it in the book, and it would be a real firefight in a real place. Um, I, know, I shot people when I killed Alberto. It was one of my main characters. I just killed him, mm. uh, which is the way it works in wars. You just catch, catch one, and you're, you're gone. And yeah. it, just, it, it freaked the, the fans out. I mean, I got hundreds of letters, some... some positive some negative but mm-hmm. the response was was amazing and uh it really shocked me because it was i was writing a war book people are going to die it's the way it is yeah and at that the fans didn't really realize it up to that point so you know it, it's the only time i really had a problem with I, I have to i have to say that larry Hama, my first editor and pat redding my second editor were really good to work with mm-hmm. and jim shooter who everybody in marvel hated i got along fine with him and he really took a gamble doing the nam yeah yeah and he was very uh, very supportive and uh, you know so i have no negative feelings about anybody over there until way later on i can't remember what issue it was but i had done an issue early on uh about a uh uh, an officer who was a lousy officer and who got fragged. Yes. At the end of the, at the end of the issue. Absolutely. I, 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 boy, do I remember another, that. Another three or four years later, I did a story about a troop who was a problem and who got eliminated by his own men. Mm. Uh, but the troop was black, and uh, the powers that be at Marvel, who at that point were no longer uh, Larry Hama and Pat Redding and and Jim Shooter. Uh, decided that you couldn't do that to a black guy, only to white guys. So they literally eliminated the last page where that happened. So there's a 21-page story instead of a 22-page story. Wow. They did it without telling me or my editor on the book. They just removed the page uh, when it went to the printer. Wow. So it's, yeah, that one that one stings. And oh. I, it still bothers me. Well, I bet it would. Um, I, just so you know, I am currently rereading all of them. I have the entire series. Uh, in comic book form, because I was a kid then collecting, going into college, I was still collecting, and uh, my dad turned me on to it, like I said, who, when I was at college, 
he kept vigilantly would get my issues every month for me. So when Christmas came, he had an easy present for me. So I just catch up in my dorm room with your comics, and that's actually where it would end. Um, and it didn't end for me. And I'm going to be honest with you, I had every issue except for issue 78 that I found recently in a shop, and I filled my collection. And I'm one of these guys. I never finished reading it. I'm going to read issue 78 to 84. Probably tonight <laughs> after this conversation, so it's going to be new well, again, new again for me. Yeah, you know, those aren't mine. Those are written by Chuck Dixon. Right after I left the book, but, well, yeah. but just I, mean, I, I got to have that conclusion. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I had actually proposed a, uh, a graphic novel to uh, to finish the series, where Ed Marks, mm. who I had, I had intimated was going into journalism, comes back to Vietnam after the war uh, for to do a, 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 a do a photojournalist. Uh, type thing, and um, I proposed it to them, and they they decided it wasn't it wasn't a good time to do it. That was a while hmm. ago. I haven't talked about it since. I may do it someday. I hope you so. do. Oh, I'm going to take a quick break here, folks, and I'm going to leave uh, Mr. Doug Murray here with um, uh, my, my uncle Jim and Uncle Andy. Um, they both had a nickname for you when you were a kid too, and uh, we'll see if you can remember that during the break. And uh, we'll get right back with uh, Doug Murray here, folks. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, this is Ty Oliver from Power Man 5000, and you're listening to Kettle Whistle Radio. I'm not afraid of the dark, but you should be. There are things that dwell here in the dark. Things best left unseen. With the initial smoke clear from the fall of tomorrow, the blood now flows even thicker. With Dwelling in the Dark. Eleven stories. All bits of the same mysterious puzzle. Fitting together with horrific parallels to its predecessor. Get ready for new, truly terrifying tales set in the broken world from the fall of tomorrow. Take a closer look at what's now dwelling in the dark. If you dare. Available on Amazon in traditional print and ebook. Get your copy today. Visit www.fairlydarkproductions.com for more info on the author and his work. And we are back, folks. Thanks for, thanks for sticking with us. I, I'm with Doug Murray the writer behind The Nom. And like I always say, folks, after the break, the best conversations happen off the air. Um, I got into a little bit with uh, Doug here. Um, he wants me to call him Doug. What he's working on now, because he's a horror fan, and uh, he did have some horror in his past. Um, we're talking the actual um, H.P. Lovecraftian type stuff. Uh, Doug, you with me? Yeah, still here. All right, <laughs> it's good to know. But yeah, so you're talking. You, you have some projects you're working on currently, right now, not in the realm. Yeah, I, I just finished, uh, like I say, that graphic novel, and I'm I'm doing some other things. But I have a book. It's about Sherlock Holmes that takes place during the War of the Worlds. And uh, my basic concept, in brief, is that the H.G. Wells book is propaganda that the government pushed Wells to write because what really happened was far, far, far more nasty. And they also want to hide the fact that the Holmes brothers, Sherlock and Mycroft, uh, invented germ warfare to get rid of the Martians. Wow. <laughs> 
That is awesome. Oh my god. And wait. Now, going back to we were talking a little bit about Lovecraft before. Well, I'm a huge Lovecraft fan. I have all his books. Yes. And uh, a while back I, I I do the occasional short story for various collections and things. So I did a short story for a uh, an anthology called Confederacy of the Dead, which yeah. was about Civil War horror. And I did a story about the Battle of the Crater, which is, as I said earlier, I have a master's in history, and, and basically my master's paper was written about Lee's description of battlefields, where he said if he could pick the ground, he could always win. And I, I toured the battlefields uh, one summer just to see if he was right, and substantially he was. The one time he didn't get to choose the field, which was in Gettysburg, he got his butt beat. But up until then, he was always able to choose what he wanted. In any case, the Battle of the Crater, um, the Union blew a huge hole through Confederate defenses, but they were almost an hour getting troops through that hole. Uh, it's been blamed on a lot of different things, but I, I blamed it on the fact that when they blew open the, the crater, they also opened a cavern where a Cthulhuite monster lived, and it was killing soldiers as they came into the cave and created all the problems. Hmm. So, you know, I, I did it for the, the, the anthology. It was nominated for a World Horror Award, which I didn't win, didn't expect to. But nonetheless, it was fun to do. <coughs> Excuse me. That sounds like an awesome read to me. Um, th- this is still in print. Can folks get this somewhere? I, I honestly have no idea. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, I did promise uh, that there, um, my Uncle Jim and uh, Uncle Andy there gave you a nickname as a kid um i guess i they were they called you hop along as in hop along cassidy yeah actually it was hoppy which uh, hoppy was a was a nickname given to me when i was really young and lived in brooklyn before i even moved to long island and uh i don't really make that too public but yeah they they knew about it so (laughs) that's the reason why okay (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Just um, honestly, it just uh, just having you on the show, like I said, it's uh, filling that gap in my life when it comes to meeting um, my heroes and people that got me started writing. And uh, like I said, the Vietnam. You covered Vietnam in a way that nobody else could possibly have. And they questioned it being a comic at first. You were met with a little adversity. Um, we were met um, not so much for Marvel because, like I say, Jim Shooter was very supportive. But uh, there were there were those who on in the media who questioned doing was it trivializing the Vietnam War by doing it as a comic book, but that that blew over really fast once people actually looked at the comic book. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of a lot of TV stuff early on because people were fascinated by the fact that we were doing historically accurate comic book about the Vietnam War at Marvel, which was known for the superheroes. Yes, and uh, so I did a bunch of stuff early on that that uh, talked about that very item, but. You know that was for the first year or thereabouts, and then afterwards it just uh, just settled into a regular comic book type arrangement. And it sold uh, better than the Uncanny X Men at first, correct? First uh, four issues of yeah, we sold better than X Men the first four issues. And I am actually there's actually a photo of me in Playboy because they covered it in uh, they covered it in their uh, what what they call it new and. News news columns and they yeah. get a photographer out take a picture of me. So there's a picture of me in an issue of Playboy. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice to be able to say that because it's not something a guy of my age and the way it looks like me would normally say. <laughs> well, folks, I'm looking at him right now. Okay, he, he's aged very well. Okay, so don't don't listen to him. Now the Nom, uh, I understand too. It went to three volumes of trades. I think it's I think it's four now. Four. Um, okay. Uh, they reprinted the first 12 issues. I, I've lost track of how many times. They did it in the NOM magazine, 
then they did it in uh, one, two, three. I think it's four paperbacks at this point. Um, they've, they've done a paperback with the first 20, I think, as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's been reprinted a bunch of times at this point. So people can still get their hands on I really think it's something that everybody should read if they want their history. I mean, just to see it from the perspective. You know, um, I, I hope I, it's available. I certainly would, I would think that anybody has an interest in the Vietnam War would enjoy it. Yeah. And the, hopefully there's some insight there, although I wasn't doing it for insight. I was literally doing it for both, I guess, education and enjoyment. Yeah. Uh, it was good for me because uh, before I started writing it, I mean, I was still having frequent nightmares and things. And once I wrote it for a couple of years, I got rid of all that. It was a way wow. of catharsis for me. So from my point of view, it was really, really helpful. I mean, I made some money from it and I got rid of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, psychic problems. Yeah, well, the, the, there's proof right there, folks, that yes, being an artist and, and whatever you do, musician, whether you're an actress, writer, if you get it out, yeah, it is a, it definitely cathartic. You know, you get it out, and like I guess you said, well, it's not going to remedy the problem, but it definitely helped you, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it helps anybody. I mean, I would recommend anybody who's been in any kind of armed conflict, even the Gulf War guys who are having issues. Uh, yeah. If you talk to it, talk about it to somebody, it helps because you kind of you offload some of the problems. You share the load, if you will. Yeah. And I think that's that's a positive thing as well. It's very. That's awesome information, and anybody listening, I. Definitely uh, would go with that advice. Um, it, talking about holding it up, holding it up does not help anything. Now, now one thing I found the most intriguing about um, too with the comic book um, was the, just the revolving door of characters and how they they were there. Not all of them all the way through. Um, some don't make it. Some do. Some just go home. And they, you show the home front perspective, which is so interesting. Yeah, we had a we had a lot of pushback about. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you faded out a little bit there. Sorry. Yeah, I had a. I think I have another incoming call, but don't okay. worry about it. It'll probably do it again, so just don't. don't. <laughs> okay, no problem. That, that should be it. Um, yeah, um, there's a, a a well-known female editor at another comic company, not DC, who assumed that the cover of that coming home issue uh, showed her spitting on Ed Marks. Wow. Uh, we never thought of it that way, and it wasn't planned that way. Uh, but she took exception, and we got a lot of nasty mail oh about my God. that. Wow! Uh, uh, I, as I said uh, earlier, I wanted to do a final, a final book, maybe a graphic novel about Marx going back to Vietnam mm -hmm. years later after the war was over. Uh, but there's no interest in doing it at Marvel these days. Uh, so you know, I, I don't know what I don't know what will happen. There's somebody trying to get my the graphic novel we did. Uh, at Marvel, Hearts and Minds, uh, published, republished, but I don't know what's coming to that either. Wow. So, you know, there's always some stuff out there. It's a weird time. It's a very fickle time uh, where a, a very successful show has five good episodes and they get rid of it anyway, you know, immediately. Um, yeah. I, it's not easy. Uh, well, the attention span of the viewing public and the reading public is way shorter, and there are far fewer people that read these days for entertainment. Yes. Uh, I think that makes a big difference with everything. I mean, most... One of the things that I, I learned early on was that when I started writing novels, was that you have to grab your viewer and reader in the first used to be the first chapter, but now it's almost the first page. Yeah, you're right. Or the first the first paragraph. We have to get somebody interested, otherwise they're going to put it down and never pick it up again. Yeah. So you know that was that was the way I looked at things and still do. 
And um, I, absolutely. One of the, of course, we talked earlier about Aesop, um, Andy Clark, um, our connection here, and just seeing him come to life. And when I did finally meet him, boy, I'll tell you, you were pretty spot on with the guy. I mean, yes, he was huge, gigantic dude, a, a strong, muscular guy, and just a mess. And he got playing. He got put in roles like he was in Radio Days with Woody Allen, and. Yeah, a bunch of different things. Edward, yeah, he was. Yeah, Edward Scissorhands. He was. He was a special kind of guy, and I still miss him because he was my. He was the guy I would go to with the, the chat. I mean, I would call him up at night or visit his house, and we would talk about what was going on. We had a lot of the same, same things and things in common. And uh, like I say, I, I still really miss him. Yeah. I got to meet him too late in life and was at my cousin Sean's wedding again in Beverly Hills and he was there and I went up to him He and I was just like, hey, you don't know me, but I've been following your life for quite some time in comic books and we talked about you and uh, he had nothing but kind words and yeah, the fact that he missed you too. Um, now, was he that guy? Was he the guy telling stories all the time in the platoon? That was, that was the way I did it there because he okay. used to work on stuff like that. He would write little plays and and uh, you know, work on on different concepts. And he was always a story. He was always, in his way, a storyteller. Uh, if not on paper, then on on screen or on TV when he played different characters. Aside from the the movies, you know, he was mm -hmm. also in the Superboy TV show, and he was in the, the Swamp Thing TV show. Yep. yep. And he was in the the uh, oh, what's the, it was Mortal Kombat TV show. Yes. And and even you know, and when he worked at the Adventures Club on uh, in Disney, uh, he had created a character and told stories yep. and uh that was he was like that since he was like 12 years old <laughs> so you know he was one of those guys and uh, uh he was special from what uh, from what i understand what he said he, he was entertaining up until the end yeah like you said he was working in disney um in yep. florida yeah for a long time but yeah, yeah i never he worked there for many years i mean i i met i guess the toward, uh, the christmas before he passed he was playing father christmas at the british section of Epcot, and which which is terrible to do here because he's wearing these heavy robes and clothing, oh, and coming out in ninety plus degree weather, he would he, he would be covered with with sweat by the time he was done. It's just you know it was a strain because he was uh, as you said he was a really big man. I mean I'm a fairly large guy. I'm six two and I weigh about two fifty now, and he was way bigger than me. So you know it was a tough thing for him to do, but he uh, it was a tough thing for him to get into the entertainment industry and get parts because of his size but he did it yeah he did he really something he really wanted to do and it was it was the path he was on yeah he's a character actor i guess you'd say <laughs> yeah, yeah in every in every possible meaning of that um now you've had um well again that's that's aesop andy clark check him out in the comics he's one of the fan favorites uh with people i know i'll say that um you had a lot of backup from veterans with this comic book correct what do you mean back? Oh, well, they... there was a, in uh, 86 or 87, okay. uh, uh, the veterans, a, vet, a group of veterans gave out awards, and the entertainment award was down to, uh, the vote was between uh, Platoon and us. Wow. And and we won by a lot of votes, uh, <laughs> because uh, people, a lot of people I know that were Vietnam, including myself, have real problems with Platoon. Yeah. Uh, because Platoon is, uh, it, it's, it hits all the... the the negative points that you always used to see in the press and on TV news about uh, American soldiers being baby killers and burning villages down and doing all this other stuff. Mm. And uh, the, f the film corresponds to that. Uh, I don't necessarily believe that's the truth. So, yeah, we won the award. Uh, we, get, 
we always got good backup from the veterans groups, and uh, most of the, most people that that were veterans of the Vietnam War were very positive about the book. I, I never got a really negative letter from a vet about the book. Well, clearly, this story was meant to be told, um, and. The, the question was put out there, should the NOM have been a comic book? And the answer, folks, is yes. Um, we are living proof right here, uh, creator and fan. Um, and I got my education on Vietnam, not just from watching Apocalypse Now, you know, and these things were not in our books. Um, the answer is yes. The NOM was meant to be a comic book. And, boy, it, it is timeless, and it's something everybody needs to read. Um, and I honestly, the artwork, like you were saying about Michael Golden, I've never till this day seen art quite like that. Yeah, he was brilliant. Uh, he still is. Uh, you know, he's still in the industry. He still does work. Uh, uh, the guy was uh, just uh, an incredible talent. Um, he had some, some, some issues, but he, an incredible talent. We also looked at the get a guy. I shouldn't say this. We, we wanted to originally get a guy named Ed Davis to work in the book as well. Ed Davis was a Vietnam vet, mm. which Golden wasn't. Uh, Ed Davis was a guy literally in New York who would walk around with a three fifty seven Magnum uh, under his coat with, uh, with bullets he'd cut the tip off of and put uh, cyanide in a little, a little plastic top so wow. that if the bullet hits you, yeah. He was a little bit like that. But he disappeared <laughs> just before we started working on the NAM. So we never got a chance to get in and do some work on it. And then the, the first inker we had on uh, the first, I guess it's the first two issues, Armando Gill. Yeah. Armando, at, at, after issue one, had been given the pages for issue two and then disappeared. Um, he, had, he had fled back to his mother's basement in Detroit because he thought somebody was trying to kill him. Wow. Uh, Larry Hama had to literally fly to Detroit, go to Gill's house, get the pages and give them to another inker. And the book was still a couple weeks late, and uh, it had, Golden didn't finish a cover, so the cover is actually a blow-up of a panel from inside the book. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> Whatever happened to the, the first guy, though, that you were saying with the uh, sawed-off bullets? <laughs> oh, nobody knows. He still to this day? Uh, around 85, 86, and nobody's seen him since. That, oh, my God. Okay. Interesting story. <laughs> still developing. Hopefully not too much. Talented artist too. It's really kind of a shame. Uh, he was he was at Neil Adams Studio when I was and when Larry was, and uh, then he just kind of did some work in the comics. You see his name here and there, and then uh, he just left. And I, none of us have any idea where he left to. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, well, this is where I want to ask you to you know tell everybody where to find your stuff, anything that you have available, websites and such. I don't have a website, uh, but if you look on Amazon under, under my name, Doug Murray, last time I looked, I had eight or ten pages of stuff. I, I did a series of uh, novels about uh, uh, SEAL team survivors working together. Uh, they're, out, they're out there now, and uh, my Call to Duty books are there, and there's a lot of payback editions of various things. I did, I did uh, My name comes up because I did a lot of stuff in Marvel Comics Presents and things that are mm -hmm. turning up in payback collections now. Yes. So my Nick, my, my agent of Shield story is out in a payback collection, and my Thor story is out in a payback collection. I tried while I was at Marvel to write at least one story about every character I liked. Hmm. So I did an Iron Man, I did a Thor, I did a Cat. The only person I never got to was Doctor Strange, which oh, was wow. kind of a shame. But you know, I did what I did. So there's a bunch of stuff of my stuff out there on on the internet on on Amazon. So it's it's I'm easy to find. Yeah, and good stuff, folks. Uh, don't miss out on this. Um, are you? You said you're not reading comics right now. Um, how do you feel about the superhero movies coming out these days? 
for the most part, I really liked them. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got the characters right, and uh, mm-hmm. they've got good, good actors playing the characters. Uh, I think Marvel Productions has done a great job. I agree. Uh, I kind of wonder, there's, there's a legal fight going on that hasn't been very well publicized, but oh. it's gone on for almost three years now. That uh, let, me, let me explain it this way. Sure. In, 19, in 1990, Marvel was doing really poorly. And uh, they they went public. They 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 sold stock in the company. Uh, and as things got worse, uh, the stock went down and down until in the mid '90s it was selling for you know a quarter a share or something like that. Um, it got better, obviously. Now, but Marvel Productions made films based on Marvel Comics characters without reimbursing Marvel. Ooh. They just and so that those those people that own shares of Marvel Comics didn't get a dime from those movies that made a billion dollars. So, you know, that's going on, and I don't know where that'll go. Wow. Yeah, it's, so, uh, it's such a headache for people like myself trying to get started. I, when I say get started, I'm 47 years old, and I'm already 10 years into the published thing. And uh, it's just, it's it's more frustrating to watch it happen around me. I knew what to expect going into I'll it tell now. You, I'm, I'm supposed to be retired now, and I'm working harder than I ever did before. Right. I, have, I have two or three jobs waiting for me right now. Good. So it, it's, uh, you know, it's the way life is. Actually, considering that uh, a lot of people I know, including my own father, died very quickly after they retired and stopped working. I, mm. I feel no real need to stop, but I, I like what I'm doing, so I'll keep doing it. I'm glad to hear that. That That's what we want to hear. Um, let's see. Uh, well, yeah, I guess, are you on Twitter? You're not okay. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Oh, good. Okay. And uh, you know, I, I, I certainly welcome people if they want to drop a note. Go feel free to do so. Okay. Is it just uh, Doug I, Doug Murray, or is it does it say Doug Murray? Okay. Because yeah, Cause, uh, yeah I, I did search for you there. I think I found you. I don't know how I got you. Something on Gmail somehow. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll just leave that at that. that that's behind the curtain, yeah, folks. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just like I said, the best place to find my stuff is on Amazon. Okay. Uh, I, I I'm happy with the. Uh, uh, this uh, SEAL Team thing. I was hard to do it. I, well, you know, I did other stuff after Marvel. I worked at, at Disney for a while, and mm-hmm. I worked at Lucas Films for ten years. And uh, I did a, a, a new series called Jungle Girl at Dynamite. Mm-hmm. I did a, a thing, and they're all out there on on the Amazon thing. And then Dynamite came back and hired me to do the series. Uh, Chuck Dixon was doing a series about SEAL Team Six, and they wanted to do a spinoff. So I I did a spinoff based upon a guy who gets badly hurt in one of the SEAL Team stories and uh, is tossed out of the military. And uh, so after he heals, I did a story about he and a CIA, female CIA agent who drops out of the uh, out of the company because of her boss. And they form a, a kind of a, a, not a private detective agency, but a protection agency where they do international stuff. And they pick up character, other characters as time goes on. So it's, I had fun doing doing it. There are twelve books in the series. Wow, cool! And uh, yeah, and they're all available on Amazon. Oh, that's great. Okay, yeah. All right, folks, go out there and pay for some stuff. Pay for your art. That's what we try to do here. <laughs> it's a failing. Well, I shouldn't say failing. There are folks dedicated out there, and when they hear your voice, I think they're going to look you up. And especially and if you're you're going to be new to some folks, and that's refreshing too. I guess that's what keeps yeah. us going. You know. Well, this this uh, this Lady Golf book will be out probably around February, March, and then the Sherlock Holmes thing I hope to have out. I don't know, or sometime early next summer. So you know, I'll keep working on it. Well, folks, that was Doug. Don't call me Happy Murray.
<laughs> yeah, don't call me happy. Don't call me happy. Um, we appreciate you listening. As always, find me at Fairly Dark on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, David Fairhead. You can find David J. Fairhead Presents Fiends of the Flesh on Amazon. And all my books are at uh, www.fairlydarkproductions.com. Um, help support the cause, folks. And hit me up uh, at Kettle Whistle Radio at Gmail, and I'll send you some free comic books. Um, in in uh, closing, anything else you want to throw out there, Doug? The only thing I would like to say, I would say is that, uh, yeah, the NAM is an interesting uh, way to look at the Vietnam War. People can learn things. And anybody that wants to get involved in, in the comic industry or the publishing industry or writing or any of that kind of stuff, I encourage them that they have the slightest bit of talent. I mean, <clears throat> I never thought of myself as a writer until I got pushed into doing some writing. So if, if you even have the if you have the if you have a hint of talent where you like doing it, even if you don't have the talent and you like doing it, just do it. I mean, it's it's a great thing in many ways. It's a great exercise intellectually, and it's a great way to kind of feel your way around the world a little little out of the ordinary. I could not have closed the show out better. Uh, great advice, folks. And yes, uh, even if you're not good at writing. Write something down. You could storyboard something and make something out of it. You know, I, Lord knows crazier things have happened and are happening. Look at Robot Chicken. It's still going on Adult Swim, I believe. <laughs> um, all right. So I did want to ask. I'd be doing my fans an injustice, Doug, if I didn't ask about Stan Lee. Um, did you get to meet the man more than once? I met him, I met him many times. Uh, I didn't exactly work with him. He, uh, he had nothing to do with the man. Uh, he was, he, by the time we were doing the NAM, he went to, uh, had gone to Hollywood and was living in California doing the, the, the first set of films, which was not successful. Um, <laughs> he was, he was pretty much what he appeared to be. He was a really nice guy. Uh, <clears throat> I don't really give him as much credit for creating the Marvel Universe as he got it when he, when he passed because Jack Kirby had as much to do with it as he did. Yes. Uh, in his case, he was... He would, he would, let me put it this way. I saw his script for the, the Galactus, the first appearance of Galactus in Fantastic Four, which was a five-issue series. Hmm. His script was, a giant from outer space menaces the Earth, the Fantastic Four fight them. That was it. Everything hmm. else is Jack Kirby. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, it, it, he was what he was. And what he was was a really nice man who could really promote things and who had a lot of ideas uh, that he threw into the mix. And uh, he was lucky to come along at a time when he could have people like Jack Kirby and, and uh, Steve Ditko and, and all those others to to take his ideas and run with them and make them really successful. Uh, the one thing I'll say about he and the NAM is that when the first paperback compilation of NAM stories came out, it says, Stan Lee presents the NAM. Ooh. And I used to always sign them the same way. I would sign them. Stan Lee had nothing to do with this, nothing whatsoever to do with this, and I would sign it. And uh, and Stan, somebody gave him a copy to sign that I'd already signed like that. And he 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 saw me not not long after he said, "I saw how you signed that. You're absolutely right. You know, I had nothing to do with it, but I'm going to keep my name on it anyway." And uh, so, but you know, he was he was a good guy, and uh, I have. Uh, he was an important man in the field, probably the most important figure in the field. So yeah. that, that's that's what I'd like to say about him. All right, that's good. It's, it's good to know that some of our heroes out there were what you want them to be. They said that, He was a good guy. I mean, I, one, yeah. one of the things I wish that was kind of funny, when uh, there was a huge fight before your time about 
getting the original artwork back. And Stan would have a pile of comic pages next to him in his office, and he'd give them as a tip to like the pizza guy or anybody who came in to make a delivery. He'd give them a comic page as a tip. Wow. The original art, I mean. So that's oh. where a lot of that the that, missing stuff went that is amazing <laughs> i used to deliver pizzas that would be the best gift ever oh man yeah. I, I have a few odds and ends laying around here believe me uh interesting items so all right well um thank you so much for your time um hopefully we'll talk again uh, about your next projects yeah feel free to contact me you know how to reach me absolutely uh folks doug murray couldn't ask for a better guest and we're honored and uh i'm gonna say good night and uh We'll we'll do a part two with Doug Murray sometime in the future. What do you think, Doug? Sure. I mean, when this Lady Hope book comes out, we'll, maybe we'll talk about that. So that's the one? Okay, good. I was going to ask you which one. Perfect. Well, all right. Well, that's the incentive right there. And thanks for listening. And as always, um, just be good to each other. That would be nice for a change. How about that? All right. Bye-bye.
Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and... Hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid. 